All right, I showed 1030. Okay. So my clock gets to run today. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures written for our learning. Grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and never hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Morning to all. Morning to our online participants, Mimi, Faye, Adriana, Elizabeth. Actually, Mimi's twice there, so I don't know what that's all about, but we get a double dose. <laughs> so, missed um, being with you all last week. We were in Texas for a mission retreat that went very well, and we had a good time with it. And so, hope you all found a way to occupy the morning. <laughs> we're not telling. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we are in First um, John chapter four, and I think it's it's best. You know, we'll go through verses, but we just to continually remember certain themes of John, and they're themes that really are connected to the gospel too. Um, and one of the big things is. Um, uh, the incarnation. Remember in John chapter 1, verse 1, he said, you know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Uh, and then he goes on to say, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So the idea that the, the pre-existent Son of God, or Word, who is the Son, um, took on human flesh and, and in a definitive way um, manifested God's will for all people is going to be central to, to is, is central to John's thought. And connected to that, um, it, it's a tangible, historical, witnessed reality. Therefore, John and the apostles who saw it when they bear witness, they're testifying to that which is true from God and, and and which has a claim on everybody to whom it is proclaimed. And then, as we, we talked about this last time, the, the community of faith is therefore the tangible, is the, the thing that's, it, well, let's put it this way, it's sort of the Incar it's, it's sort of the extension of the incarnation because um, if we can think about this for a second, um, you say in the Apostles' Creed, he was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. So the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is conceived in the womb of Mary. Now, we also, as John will have a refrain and talk about, we also have received the Holy Spirit. And through the Spirit, Christ dwells within us. And through the Spirit, we are in him. So therefore, when he talks about love, the tangible um, love is not, therefore, just a, a warm feeling, but it's something that, as it became incarnate in Christ, so must become incarnate in us. And it is our experience of God's love that has given us the Spirit, and then it's the evidence of that love that we also love in the same way we have been loved. And you, all these concrete things are important. And and what what John is dealing with in in his writings is is this um, ancient heretical tendency called Gnosticism, um, which had a lot of different manifestations, but its main tenets were that first, um, physical things are not inherently good, and therefore God could never take them on, and God couldn't have made them. 
uh, secondarily that salvation then is, is somehow evolves an escape from the physical into some kind of idealized spiritual state. And following from this, therefore, you could make the implication that, you know, what you do in your body doesn't really matter that much. And so there were Gnostics who were more aesthetically extreme. They renounced things. And there were Gnostics who tended more towards licentiousness. Since it didn't matter, we could do whatever I want, but we're saved from this. And the manner in which that faith was communicated was... Um, the, the Gnostic teacher who had got a secret esoteric vision that was given to him, and he then communicated it to people. And notice that the distinction there between the word in the, it, with God from the beginning is made flesh in a, in a historical, tangible way. It is then witnessed by the apostles and John who, who testify and then tell people this is what we've seen and it's a verifiable witness, it, it's, it's multiple witnesses as the biblical evidence goes, but the Gnostics had no, it was just, I saw it. Who, who confirms that for you? Well, no one. And that's why I said last time, you know, the, the two most preeminent Gnostic heresies, they're not exactly like ancient Gnostics but they have a characteristic of Gnosticism, are the Mormons and Islam. Both are rooted in a, in a vision of one man that nobody, that nobody else was there to confirm. And it's an ahistorical reality. And, and it, 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 it doesn't, um, and it's a witness to, to some idea, not a life of, of the Son of God, lived a certain way, died a certain way. So the tangible, real, incarnational versus the kind of, I think of as spiritual, intangible, you know, in the heart but not in the body, which is, is common of, it, it's very common today in this idea of being, say, um, spiritual but not religious, um, which is, um, you know, in, in the sense that, um, you know, sometimes people have had difficulty in churches, you know, that's fine. But to be spiritual is to be religious. It means that you've received the spirit and this will change your behavior and your religion will be how you now orient your life around your prayer and around your acts of service because you know this thing. So so to be spiritual and not religious, to have this thing, and the other aspect of that kind of spiritual not religious is no one can hold you accountable for it. Is what you believe. Well, that's good for you. More, more like Buddhism or something. Buddhism has its own sense of um, of uh, doctrines that don't always comport with the spiritual, but not religious. Buddhism is is um, rooted in the idea that um, the problem of Suffering is rooted in desire, and so therefore you you get free from suffering by 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 ridding yourself of desire. And that's a different uh, spiritual, not religious. That the main thing about it is it doesn't it can take any form at once because you have your own spirituality, and no one. And notice that again the contrast between. The apostolic witness, multiple people witnessing to a concrete truth that has a claim on you. You may have, God may speak to you in a way that's unique for your life, but it, it can't be, as we'll say, yourselves test the spirits. It can't be like outside the bounds of what, what we know to be true. And you have accountability. And ideally in the church, there's a sense of mutual accountability and also individual freedom within the bounds of what we might do, you're free to do it. And, and sometimes the church doesn't play that out so much. Sometimes we we put other expectations. You should do this, you should do that. So there's a balance there, but in the ideal, but you are accountable in the sense that you say, well, I'm, I'm going to do this. You say, well, that's not really, that's pretty contrary to what the New Testament says you should do. Then, that's, then you're accountable to that, where 
in the sort of Gnostic or modern Gnostic spiritual but not religious you say, well, that's what you believe. That's good for you. But I've got my secret esoteric vision, which nobody can hold me accountable for. And so this is this is the contrast that John is really working with in 1 John, is this Gnostic heresy versus the incarnational witness sacramental reality of um, of um, So, with that background, let's move on. Chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, we should note here that John is picking up um, a theme of Jesus. Um, for example, in uh, Matthew chapter 7. Verse 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And Jesus said, we'll, we'll pick up a couple of themes that will connect with what John has to say. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorns or things from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. So, and John will talk about this fruit in terms of love. So if something is, is true, if something really is of God, of the Spirit, and, and the Spirit is planted in it, and it grows, you'll see it in love. And when you find things that are aberrant, and you follow it out for a while, you realize, oh, it just seems to produce some contention and some some, some other kinds of things that are. Um, uh, now, I want to be clear that um, love should not be understood simplistically, and love involves arguments. As we care for each other, we have differences of opinion. What characterizes the Christian community is we have some ability to distinguish between you know, our personal differences of opinion and what is absolutely and ultimately true, so we're all accountable to the one. So I, I don't want to sentimentalize love, but if we're doing what Christ calls us to do, we won't break ourselves apart over less than truth. We will we will have room for each other and, and we'll learn to love through. And and that's really what I think, um, especially in the spiritual life, is is... A measure of our growth is um, our ability to, 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 to be in relationship with people who are very different from us. And not only different from us, but maybe we don't like very much. And to let them be a part of the community. And what, what characterizes, I think, a more divisive form of Christianity is that it tends to be... Um, it tends to actually come up with people who tend to all be the same. Our little group of people who prefer it this way. And and so it's one reason, you know, we talked about mission last week. It's one reason that mission always needs to be open to the other. Like, of, of someone because who is not like us. Because that's God who we are ultimately other than God. And yet he is the one who reached out, as John will show. So, um... So that so there's that uh, fruits we, we we see what what does the doctrine we're looking at produce here? Um, Jesus also said in Matthew 24 uh, verse 11, um, he's talking about he says, uh, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And in verse 24 of chapter 24, he says. Uh, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if, if possible, even the elect. And so we get back to John. Uh, we saw two things. It was interesting with, with what Jesus says. You know them by their fruits, but he also says that they'll show great signs and wonders, which is an interesting thing, isn't it? 
that, they, that there might be some demonstration of, of something that makes you go, oh, wow, look at that. Um, what's interesting in that regard is that um, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, that's precisely what he did not give into the temptation to do, to create some miraculous sign and wonder, turn stone into bread, jump off the roof and let God catch him. Um, and so the, the overemphasis on the spectacular and our infatuation with it has a demonic origin or a, a component if it's not connected with long-term rootedness in the truth. And that's we can we can have that problem in um, church when we become culturally addicted to excitement and assuming that authentic faith means I'm going to be excited. And um, it's one way that people grow in a sacramental understanding is to understand the presence of God in the ordinary, to perceive when we come to church and nothing exciting is happening but something deeply, deeply rooted and present is there. It doesn't depend upon us, and that we connect with that, and that kind of grows organically. You see it in long-term fruit, but not always in short-term excitement. And so the signs and wonders, um, uh, so, so we are the signs and wonders there for it. It's, it's, again, we have to be thinking people. It doesn't mean that if you go to something... Christian, and you feel good about it, and it was exciting, it was inherently a bad thing. But if all it produces is temporary excitement and does not produce long-term growth and faithfulness, we say that's, that's, that would be the kind of thing. So he says here, um, don't believe every spirit. That means that would be like every person motivated by some spirit. Because many false prophets have gone out of the world. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Literally, this is of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So, Antichrist, that which is against Christ, and it makes sense. And what we're really talking about in a certain sense here is a perpetuation in the world of the eternal narrative of the angelic fall where the evil one decides um, he will not submit to the reality of, 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 of to the Son of God. He wants to be more glorious than that. So he, 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 he rebels, which is a, a denial of the reality of who the Son of God is. Um, one of, and so... Um, any questions about that? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. But you sort of answered it because it's not just because I know people who have said, yes, I believe Jesus' name body. They're still, you know, you test their spirits and their spirits aren't correct because of, but it has this deeper meaning, what you're describing, right? Is that because they're living in a way. Well, yes, and this is something for John that's really significant, I think, is, is, the, is, is a, a series of things that naturally follow on each other, without which there's an aberration. The incarnation of the Son of God, the authentic apostolic witness to that incarnation, and obviously death, resurrection, ascension, all that. The reception of that witness by the church, the resulting fellowship with one another we have in the spirit because we receive that witness. And so therefore, part of what we're going to get here in John is some people have left them. And for John, their leaving the fellowship is evidence that they are not of the truth. So for St. John, we absolutely cannot separate 
the church as a concrete historical body with the belief that Jesus Christ is coming to flesh. And because what 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 in, in the example Cheryl was using, people say, "Well, I believe Jesus came in the flesh," but that but but I will I will turn it into my secret Gnostic understanding, which doesn't have the claim on me. And, and that's that's really the problem with the incarnation and the gospel in general is for people who don't believe. And I mean, I, I remember this when I was wrestling with it is if if these sequences of things are true, the eternally begotten word of God has been come flesh, revealed himself to the apostles who witnessed to us and that witnesses in the church and it tells us we have to live this way. There's no wiggle. You can't say, well, I don't really believe that. And so the whole idea that, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but is a lot is how, is how I am able, to, in my own pride, to hold on to my island of rebellion while mixing it with faith. And that's why all spiritual but not religious, I can have it, I can have my cake and eat it too. But it doesn't work because it's not just you have to believe or you're not saved, it's also... The full, this is the fullness of life, the, the idea of the church. And I think here's something, too, that that is significant for us with the idea of the church. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a reality, of, as the prayer book says. Um, we're, we become a member of the church, we're baptized. And, uh, it's a conceptual reality. But... It's, it's incumbent upon the church to, um, in the local manifestation of the church in the body, to to bring into flesh that which this is supposed to be. And so sometimes being, a, there, there's a difference between, I think, it's not entirely a difference. We should distinguish between what it means to join a church and uh, volunteer for things and do this, and understand yourself as a member of the body of Christ, living a life of prayer in a community, and and trying to love those people in relationship with. And the key thing is to bring it to the, the central activity of our, our life in church is prayer. It's not busyness, it's not fussiness, it's prayer. And out of that prayer comes our sense of vocation and witness and our ability to love each other as, as we're talking. And so that's, a, you, you, if you're in the love of God in Christ, you're going to be in the community in some way, and you're going to hang out in there. Because this is the offense of the incarnation, I think, even if even if you would say, unpack the devil's reason for, for, for rebelling. It's like, um, he didn't like the way God was doing things. And, What's the, what's the chief argument against God in our time, I think, is we don't like the way he's doing things. There's injustice, there's chaos, and it's terrible. And yet we're, we're, we're trying to be told that this is the way God is making all things new. And, well, how do we understand that? Well, it's, it's, it's a timeless meditation on Good Friday. It didn't look like a very good idea. This is a pretty stupid plan. Here's your sign. You're gonna... So you look at your our lives. We say, well, this doesn't look like a very good plan. I, this isn't. And how we understand? Well, what is God doing in the middle of this? How's God working? How do we understand that out? You know, and 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 then to 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 tie it back to sort of the epistle here for the lesson. You know. When people aggravate me, and the the Holy Spirit reminds me I cannot reject them and run from them, but have to have to learn how to love. What's that about? Well, it's about because my my desire to run from that is not really about them; it's about me. Because in facing them and what makes me uncomfortable, I have to face me. And what usually makes people run away from difficult love and community is now willingness to look at their own difficulty. The more we begin to unpack the ambiguities of our own interior life, 
mixed motives, the things we've left undone that we ought to, you know, then we ought not to have done, and understand we come to Christ and He's there and like He loves us just like that. If we if that becomes on an experiential level the central reality, it's really hard for me to go to you and start picking. But to the degree which I'm not really looking at myself, or even I'm probably secretly angry with myself. So a lot of the rejection of the, of, of the other psychologically is rooted in self-loathing. I'm not facing this, I hate myself, so I, I, instead of dealing with it here in a transformative way, I push it out and I find the fault of you, and you, and you. And this comes back to Genesis. So, Adam, what happened? Well, the woman, she gave it to me. Adam, by you. Until Adam was ready to deal with what his role was in it. Adam, did you, were you the head of the garden I created you to be? Did you, did you help uh, the woman I gave you when, you know, there was a time of Christ, you stepped in, did you, did you kill that snake? And so um, all these dynamics tie together in as, as the incarnational love of, of God and Christ for us and all our messiness necessarily means it creates a community where we love each other and all our messiness. And that's the means of growth. And when people run from that, they run from themselves and they generally run from growth. I've never really seen anybody who who runs away from the difficulty of love and community makes a lot of progress. But you can you can shield yourself from the bright light. But not really. Because you're wherever you go, there you are. Yes. Okay. So, um, spirit that we are okay. So we're, we're uh, that, so the spirit that denies that Jesus has come in the flesh is the spirit of the Antichrist, verse three, which was coming and is now in the world. It's interesting in that also that um, though the devil is a defeated spiritual force, his, um, his, shall we say, his tempting ministry and role has not vanished from the world. But as Christ, by his faithfulness, conquered him definitively, so we, by our faithfulness, conquer him in each of our situations. And this we'll get on to as we on get that. So he says, um, verse 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Now this overcome word, if you remember, we studied Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Um, the refrain was, to him who overcomes, or I advocated for the word conquer. I just find overcome is not a... I like conquer as a more powerful word, but it's, again, this is the word from which the shoe company Nike gets its title. It's a Greek word for victory or conquest. So if you think you've overcome them, who are the them? The false prophets and the spirits that speak, that deny. Because he was in you is greater than he was in the world. So, and, and what this means is, and there's a kind of organic reality that plays out of this, that if he is in you, which would be, I think, clearly Christ through the Spirit lives in you, you carry about in yourself the victory that has already been won on the cross. Because remember in baptism, you died with Christ and rose with Christ. That's the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit brings us into that participation. It also brings us into the victory, which is not like just a, um, it's a definitive victory that brings salvation, but it's also the power to have actual victory in daily life 
as we live a life of prayer, and we now in Christ can say no as he says no. So when the devil comes to us and says, you know, um, satisfy yourself in some unnatural way, turn stone into bread, we say, no, that's not what God wants for me. And we have, because the, he was in us is greater, we have now the power implicit in this is without the gift of the Spirit. We don't have that power. And that's why he will say the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Outside the community of those who have the Spirit, there's not the power to conquer that. And now, we have to understand here, and this is why we, we talk so frequently about what we call the life of prayer, is because the, the gift of the Spirit presumes that this issues forth into a life of prayer, a life of communion with God in Christ with the Spirit. And as we live in this life of communion with God in the Spirit, we live in the power of victory. If we um, become forgetful, we drift away from our, our, our relationship with union and communion, we become distracted, we're more uh, tempted to, to give in to something. Now, that happens, then we come to our senses, we have to come and repent and come back. But, but if we want the power to have victory, we have to stay in it. And, and so that's the idea that this is not a, a merely um, paper victory. It's the actual outgrowth of cross and our participation in each of our lives. That's why living a life for prayer is not like, oh, a nice thing to do, but essential to a life of faith. That's your essential identity. And, and that's, we always come back to prayer to remember. Why? Because we forget. We got the world. We see, I want that. I want this. I'm mad at that. I'm envious about that. I'm angry about that. We all, all over the place, we have to come back to a prayer and remember that God accepts me and it's okay. Indeed. Um, put back together from our fragmented selves and then try to go out and see these other things what they are. And this is it's why we have to be good at being aware of temptation. And and so and this is especially a big thing for Christians right now with all the political and other stuff going on. It's not that it's not, it's wrong to have an opinion on right and wrong in the public sphere. But it is that if you allow some temporal issue, which you probably can't really impact very much, especially not by your yelling and screaming about it, if you allow that to draw you into anger, draw you away from your prayer, it's, that's a temptation. So we always have to have a kind of balance and, and if we're going to speak in the world about things, we want to speak prophetically. We can say, this is wrong. The real danger, I think, for the church is, is the kind of activism that, that embraces as its goal some temporal end. So what do I mean by that? So we say, um, we're, going to, we're supposed to feed the hungry. But if we think we're going to end world hunger, then we start thinking, I'm going to do this, do this, and like, you're not going to do that, because it's a world system that until the Lord is in charge of the world and its system, it's not going to end world hunger. We can feed the hungry before us. And so this is, I think, the co-option of the church, because what it gets it to sign on to a temporal program designed to meet a temporal end, which A, it probably can't reach, and B, even if it does, it's not the kingdom of God. I would throw out even here, for example, in the current issue of abortion, which is flying around, we overturn Roe versus Wade, which I think as Christians who are definitively pro-life, is basically a good thing. But what victory was won? Are we going to get a net decrease in them? doesn't look like it. So what is our message? Well, our message to our people, don't do this. You have, we have children. Value it. If you've been through this, experience redemption through it, because this is another thing about that, is in any church, a significant percentage of women have been through this. 
any any church. There's, there's no way it's not true. Um, so we have healing, and, and, and we cultivate that. And the fact is, this isn't working in the world, so we have witness here, come into a culture where, where there is life. But if we think we're going to, if, if the whole thing becomes going to end this everywhere, we start trying to you know, shut this down and shut that down, we're, we're seeking a temporal end that we can't see, we can't accomplish. Well, I think the best ministries I've heard people who call to pro-life causes, for example, have been just that kind of thing about their brain, not yelling and screaming, maybe talking to some women going in, maybe just being a witness for something. Uh, and and that's right. That's that is the witness. Yes. Whether it shuts it down or not, it doesn't matter. You just pray, but you're bearing witness, so this is this is true. And free from the temporal end is what makes you a witness. And even if you get killed for it, that's being a faithful witness. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, so I think that's the distinction here about detachment from ends in the world allows us to be faithful witnesses without regard to result in the world. And that's the key. So that's, it's a balance. It's, it's, it's the proper, it's the, it's the authentic New Testament eschatology that holds, as John does, that we're already in the kingdom through the Spirit, but the kingdom is not fully here waiting for Christ to come. And living in that tension puts us in the world, but not, in, and all that stuff is there, so. But we have, we've already conquered the world, and what we know, and this is the other thing is, we know Christ, this is all gonna go, all this evil will be overthrown. It always, it is, even, um, um, it's, it's using the judgments of history, um, some, some, you know, either our Lord's going to come or some future generation is going to say, you know, making, making, killing our children, the main, a main form of birth control was a horrible idea. It didn't make anyone happy. It didn't do anything. There'll be a moral judgment on that. We're simply witnesses to that truth now. Verse five, they are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. That's the false prophets. We are of God. He who knows God hears us, and he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth, the spirit of error. Now, for John here, hears us, is highly connected to his apostolic witness. I've testified to you. You've received it. We are a community bearing the apostolic witness. So he who does not hear us is not of us, not of this apostolic community that has received the witness that is rooted in the incarnation that goes back to the, to, to the Son of God from eternity. It's off on something else, and that's what, what makes it, um, that's what exposes it as the spirit of error. He shifts in, in verse 7 now to, to love. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this was love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So this is not distinct entirely from the idea of, um, uh, or follows on. So if you deny Jesus has come in the flesh, you're of the Antichrist. But if you've received the, the, the reality that Jesus come in, in the flesh, now the evidence of that reality of life is love. We love one another because love is of God. And 
our rootedness of love, it, it, it's really, love is such a paradoxical thing because it, it always sounds good in the talking. It is so hard to do in the carrying out. Um, so, but we think, the, but, but in, in the, the conceptual um, framework of love for us is, is that God is love, which, which we understand to mean God is within himself a loving relationship. He's not an esoteric principle of love. And this is St. Augustine who kind of at least gave us a framework in, in the West where he says, and the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Holy Spirit is the love that flows between them and then out from them into the world. And what makes love, therefore, is necessarily expansive because... Um, God is so full of it that the natural thing to do is share it with the creation. And so I, I thought about this philosophically. Why did God create the world? You'd say, well, you know, I mean, a, in, a, in a strictly uh, solitary God, say, well, he's lonely, wants some people to play with or something. But in the Trinitarian idea, it is that, no, he's full of... And, and if, if, you, if you've ever actually participated... And this is really the motivation for mission in the church. If you really participate in a community of love that is from God, okay, let's 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 go do this thing for somebody. Let's expand outward. It is why in a family, love of, of husband and wife, well, what's how does it manifest itself? In children that get sent out, it's always expansive. And whenever love turns inwardly, like it is in our culture increasingly, you don't want to have children. There's a whole economic thing there. I'm not going to get a thing on that. But it, it's just a, a, a direction of inwardness. And, and we have love in a community where it's like, okay, we have our thing. and We don't want any new people coming in. That, you know, so, you know, whatever. That's not the love of God. It's so and and this is always a danger in the church for the close community to become closed it's something actually uh, because I'm talking about mission all the time in the church it's a real issue with for traditionalists uh, who we love our thing. It's like, okay, well, what's your mission to the world around you? Well, we're holding on to this thing. Okay. We got these walls. Built. Yeah. Do, and do we, do we want, um, do you want any, do you want to, do you have any experience of the love of God in Christ that's worth sharing with anybody? And that's where it begins to be that human love of no. And it, and it doesn't necessarily even mean here that this is not a scale thing. It doesn't mean your, your church has to have a mission that doubles its size. It means it's a spirit of, as each of us go out in the world, what do I have to give? And let me, you know, it, 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 that's the evidence we're participating in Trinitarian love is it overflows from us. The evidence that we're not is it not. And, and that's why I have to check. So, so, um, so we love them. And so this is a significant thing about God. God is love not because he looks at us and says, oh, you're so loving. God is love because within his own being, he loves. And out of his nature, he can do nothing other than seek your good because he created you and wants to share his love with you. It, and that's the idea of grace, unmerited grace. He wants to share his love with you. And, and it, it's no, you don't, none of us deserve it. We didn't deserve to be created in the first place. And then through sin, we became less worthy because we messed it up. It's always an only gratuitous. And it's the human pride that says, well, I'm going to do something here to make this. I'll do my religious duty and then I'll come see God. But we know, but it never works. The only way the Christian life of prayer works is to understand that prayer the encounter with God begins with grace and un, 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 um, 
qualified acceptance of us, which we know we have things to work on, and but, but it will lead us out into love, into taking responsibility for our own lives, and then loving others in new ways. I is God of love. Speak to how God has to draw the line. Who is love? It's a God of justice also. Well, love implies justice. So the idea, I mean, so what brings us into relationship with God is repentance. We come and acknowledge that we haven't been, you know, so if if we live in rebellion against God, we won't submit to his rule, which is to acknowledge, then we're going to live outside and there's going to be a natural consequence to that rebellion that will be judgment. And I think this is something to understand, too, about the world we live in, which is, is as it adopts a moral outlook, which is contrary to reality, it's going to unravel. Because the biblical idea is that the world is upheld by the word of God. And life lived in harmony with the word is the means of flourishing in the highest and best sense. And when we rebel against it, it, it it's it's um, it's like trying to use a machine in the way it wasn't supposed to be used. It doesn't work. So that's one of the problems with culture. It may well disintegrate because it because reality is a certain way. And we either and, and 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 the way reality is has been revealed by God through through Christ. And as we submit to that reality, our lives conform to the way things are, and we receive life. As we rebel against that reality, we become increasingly isolated. And and this is kind of the human anger you see is that people want to do it their own way, and then they want it to work their own way, and then they're angry when it doesn't work their own way, and they blame God that their way is not working. Yeah, I mean, all, all injustice will, be, will, will just naturally, it doesn't work. It's not, it's not in harmony with reality, and it, will just, it won't stand. It will naturally disintegrate. Which is why, incidentally, um, in our prayer for the church, when we pray for rulers that they might truly and impartially administer justice, biblically, that's the main thing you want from a ruler, is support the good and punish the bad. And that structure of, of justice creates a world in which you, we, everyone can live safely. That was even, you know, the sort of historical backdrop of the spread of the gospel was the Roman peace. They weren't like great, benevolent empire, but if you did wrong, they punished it, and they made the road safe, and so you, you, could, you, could, you could go without, you know, um, and you see what happens when that breaks down, like in, in sort of the, 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 the riots we had and all, where, gosh, can I go to the store? And if, if, if somebody attacks me, will I be? When that becomes called the question, you seem to break down, and we should break down into individual justice and just, so you, that's the role of government to do that. And the government will be judged by whether it does it or not. If it doesn't do it, it will fall, and, and something else will come along. Unfortunately, historically, Blacks' injustice usually is followed by draconian injustice. We pray for better things for us. Never know what God is doing. So we all ought to love one. Our love for another, and this again is not, oh, I love you, but our willingness to engage, how do I seek your good? in the way that God has sought my good. Now that I work that out, even if I have to spend a couple of years praying about it, figuring it out, or 10 years or 20 years. And just, that's, 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 the, that's the burden of love. 
And that's the evidence that I'm participating in the love of God, that it flows through me out into other people in a community. And if it doesn't, then it's, it, it shows it's not. That's why for, for John, the incarnation and love are the two tests of authentic faith. Confession of the incarnation and practice of the love that flows out. Verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. Not fully. He's been revealed in Christ. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. Another way of saying that is no one has seen God, but if we uh, if we love one another, God abides in us. His, he, he can be seen in us in what's happening here. By this we know that we, we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. The gift of the spirit is that is the St. Paul says, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's the spirit that, that um, lets us know we're of him. And the spirits work in our lives when we feel guilty about doing bad things. That's evidence that the spirit lives in us. The spirit knowing, you know, and the spirit interceding for us, all those things that the impulse of the spirit brings to us are, are, are evidence that we're in him. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son, the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God's, God abides in him and he in God. The confession is a big thing. I believe I believe this, but then if that confession is, you know, with, with mouth from the heart, it then will issue forth in this life of love in community. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Jesus used this word abide in John's gospel, uh, abide, living in. I am the vine, you are the branches, living in that life of, of both prayer towards God, but also connection to other people, which is essential to that life. Love has been perfected among us in this, when we have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Let's talk about this boldness in the day of judgment. I want to highlight as all just becomes increasingly evidence throughout the New Testament that always the end point of the Christian life is coming of Christ in the encounter with him. So this interim thing we're doing, loving community, is... Um, oriented towards boldness in the day of judgment. So as he is, so are we in this world. And this is the idea of justification in its clearest sense, that um, if we're justified by faith, as the New Testament says, we're freed from judgment. We pass as... um, John's gospel of death into life. And um, this should free us from fear. And the idea that Jesus walked around in his life in this world as the true son of God with whom God was pleased. And then he died the faithful death. And in the resurrection, it shows that he was vindicated by God. So that's our, as he is, so are we, as we live lives in him of faithfulness. Now, for us, faithfulness is not like Christ-like perfection, but is a life that when we do the wrong, we come back with repentance to have the, to actualize the forgiveness that we already possess, and then to go out and, and do the good 
which bears witness to where, and then we, this should free us as we move forward in this life from fear. Right? Because as we grow in our relationship with God, there's always a reverence of God. It doesn't mean like God's just our good buddy. But the fear of of the, 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 the sort of, I'm afraid of God is not really something of the Holy Spirit. Um, always the, the right tension in relationship with God that we appear before we come before him um, is this attraction and embrace complemented by whoa. And that's why we're encountering God in this mediated space of the incarnation and church and sacrament and community is. We're not yet ready to see him face to face. We're getting ready for that. We see it'll, it'll be because it, it, it would, uh, we're being prepared to live in that space. So the right understanding of God has both those grace, I'm, I'm accepted, I'm here, and then it's like, oh. And it's like, a good example of this would be um, Isaiah in chapter 6 of Isaiah, where in the year the king Uzziah died, he had a vision of God on the throne. He saw the, lone, the you know, Lord high and exalted. He sees God, he goes, whoa. And then God takes a coal from the altar and touches his lips and cleanses him. Sends him out. So that's our, we come to God. Conviction leads us to cleansing through confession and, and grace and forgiveness. Go out to love. And as we do this, we, we, um, we live in God and we're free from the from fear of God, from being mortally afraid of God, not from reverence for God. Not holy fear, but, but petrified fear. And every time we come to the altar, we have a type of the day of judgment. Because on the judgment day, we think we're going to come for Christ. Here it is. As we come in sorrow for sin, receiving grace in him, that's exactly what the last day will look like, only it will be final. The interim growing transformation would become a final thing. So it's very important to practice this. Yeah, it's, it's a whole life of prayer. I mean, we do that when we come to prayer, too. But there's something sp- special about the community being together because it's experience that uh, that, that will, because that will, the community will be, ris- be raised together on the last day. Verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. <laughs> For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? This is deeply rooted in biblical theology. God made man in the image of God. Therefore, since everyone bears God's image, how we treat the image is how we treat God. We say, I love you, but I don't love this person. It's a logical, biblically, it's logically... This commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother. That includes sister, brethren, their brother, but it's not a justification for misogyny. It's the community, the brethren. So John is seeing that the reality incarnation of which he is a witness results in a, a community that receives the witness into the spirit and manifests the love of God as experienced in its internal life and its outward orientation to love others. That's the belief in the incarnation and the love that it, that, that it produces in us. And with that's lacking the test. Is this Any thoughts? Questions about that? Yes, Michelle. Yeah, I'm still not clear back on verse 18. Can you hear me okay? 
Um, yeah. At the very end, my version says anyway, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Yeah, I just don't understand that quite. I mean, I mean, we're still, yes, we're under grace, but because we haven't seen God, there is sometimes this. Yeah. Um, so I think conceptually, if we really, if our faith was perfect, we'd never be afraid. Um, a, a, a story in the Bible that, that, that uh, might illustrate this is, remember, they're on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is asleep in the stern, and the storm's gone out, you know, and Jesus like, what? Because you're so certain through through perfect faith of that connection with God that you're not afraid. We're not there yet. We're being perfected in love. But I think the more we grow in our life of prayer and in community with each other, the more I think we can we can we can really a goal is not to really be never afraid or not to have fear creep in, but to grow in our sense to decrease in fear and grow in in faith and confidence that God is really with us. And hey, maybe he doesn't really mean to mess us over. Maybe he really does, uh, as he says, it's a father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Maybe God really is making all things new for the messiness of our lives. Maybe he's really in control. Maybe it's okay. We can hold on that for a minute before we grab the wheel back. But I think it's more like, for me, it's more like, let go, and the little, each time you come back to the wheel, the grip is a little bit less because, well, I think that for me it's a little bit less. I realize it's pretty stupid. I haven't been able to control anything anyway. <laughs> you know, so the the evidence of life, and you realize, you know, all the anxiety, all the fear didn't really get me the result. So maybe just let go and kind of see what is God actually doing in the middle of the difficulty. I know, Bashad, I, I agree with you. That's kind of a pass out fear, because fear has torment. Fear has a, a fear of judgment and punishment. And perfect love doesn't have that. It has relational connection. And that's why Jesus said in, um, where do we read that lesson? Uh, don't fear those who kill the body. But so... In, in living in God, we have this confidence, and we're less afraid. It's not like, it's not like, so a martyr, it's not like he wasn't afraid to be hurt, or it didn't hurt physically to die. It means he was confident in that relationship with God, that God would see him through this interim thing, and that uh, what was eternal would last. And that's the confidence, I think, that casts out fear as we grow Else? Can you help me with the distinction between love thy neighbor and liking? Yeah, loving neighbor and liking neighbor. So you're you're called to love to do good for the other. A lot of times we don't we don't care for certain kinds of people. Um, but a lot of times I've discovered with this uh, our our personal preferences that. Um, if sometimes it takes time, but if you if you'll invest yourself and hear somebody's story and understand where they've come from, all of a sudden you well, all of a sudden, but eventually you'll come to realize that some of the things that really bother you, oh, I get it. You've experienced this and you're afraid of that, so you react this way, or you just get to appreciate. A lot of our dislike for people is rooted in a very narrow. I like to rule my way. And so the more we broaden out to love people, we realize, oh, gosh, the world looks a little, a lot different over there. And let me realize what's it look like there and embrace the reality that the, the, the um, it's kind of that difference between sort of missionary love and closed, I got my circle of people and we like it this way and I don't like you because you're not like our people. And, and, that's always been the impulse of, of the mission of the church is to reach out to those who are not it. So the Roman Christians didn't love 
the pagan hordes that sacked the city, but they stayed around and converted it because they're full of love of God. And, and so I think the more we, again, can integrate our own experience of God's love for us and all our ambiguity and otherness, and the more we'll, we'll open up our eyes to see, oh, I see, there's certain things about you I have difficulty with, but I realize that's really about me, my prejudices, and not able to receive you the way that God receives me, so I just need to grow more. So I would, I would say we can still, even then, even while we don't like, we can still act for the good of, and we can still pray for the grace to grow and develop a better attitude towards suffering. If you pray that, God will probably do it. All right, let us pray. Lord, bless us and keep us. The Lord, make his face to shine upon us, be gracious unto us. Lord, lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace this day and forever. Good to be with you all today. Thanks for joining us online. Yeah, a couple of people in the car, yeah. Mobile, mobile Bible study. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. See you next week. I'll be in Missouri. 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 All right. You should not go in the dead of summer. No. What's in Missouri? My family. And a high school reunion. Okay. All right. Take care.